This is Spade, Spoon, Soul, a podcast about all the ways food intersects with our faith, from seed to spade to spoon. Hi, I'm Brian Sellers-Peterson, and I am coming to you from the Cascade Mountains in a little town called Roslyn, and uh, I'm pleased to be joined uh, by uh, my friend and collaborator, Jennifer Baskerville Burroughs. Hello, I'm Bishop Jennifer Baskerville Burroughs of the Episcopal Diocese of Indianapolis, coming to you from Monument Circle. We have our diocesan offices here in the center of Indianapolis and the center of Indiana. And I am so excited for today because we are here to welcome Dr. Jack Talmadge, head of school at the Episcopal School of Knoxville, and Maggie Wick, an instructor at the Acorns to Oaks program at ESK. Episcopal School of Knoxville. So you'll hear us using both of those those terms to describe this amazing Episcopal School in Tennessee. I am so looking forward to this conversation because if you talk about food and faith and kids and learning, I am all in. So welcome Maggie and Jack to the show today. Thank you. Well, let's get started. We have a stock question that we ask everyone who comes on our podcast, and this is our this will be our 26th podcast. We've been going for a little over a year now. But we ask everyone, where are you rooted? Now, we want to do that individually. And then maybe one of you wants to, to talk about, you know, where you are rooted in terms of you and the children that attend ESK. So I'm rooted um, with my family personally. Um, I'm also rooted in this school very much so because my daughter um, started coming here in 2012 when we moved here to Knoxville from Chattanooga. So I've been a parent here for a long time. She's in high school now, still have a son here. He's sixth grade. Um, another place I'm rooted is in the South Cumberland Mountains. I went to Suwannee. Uh, University of the South and spent many summers in Mount Eagle, Tennessee. So, and then of course, I've been rooted in the outdoors since I was, you know, five or six. My dad would take us on um, rafting trips actually when we were young and leave my mom at home and she'd have a break and we'd go off to the Boundary Waters or uh, the Salmon River. And so that's where I'm rooted. <laughs> and how about you, Jack? Absolutely. So um, in the South, I love it. Uh, we we talk about roots all the time and where we're deeply rooted. So I'm, I'm rooted as a Georgia boy, but um, uh, rooted really in Southern culture. And for us, that is very much family. Um, I have a wonderful family that uh, definitely got into uh, both the gardening aspect, but also they're great cooks too. And so traditional recipes being passed from generation to generation um, and then growing a lot of this food. Uh, that was us. And this was in the city of Atlanta. And still we were able to um, carve out a, a garden pocket. So that I would say early on had uh, deeply rooted in both of those aspects and certainly followed that path um, up to Virginia into North Carolina and have always just had a, a love for the sciences and um, and being able to bring that into education, but also having that as a good part of family and tying those uh, family roots together. Fantastic. Thank you for that. And I have to tell you, I love that sense of being rooted, not just in a place, but among a people and family, being that first community. It's, it's a beautiful way to express that. So I am also a mom of a sixth grader at an Episcopal school, 
our oh. one Episcopal school here in the state of Indiana, sixth grade boy. So yes, um, sixth grade boy. We'll talk a lot about what that's like, Maggie. <laughs> but I also, um, I just got in from Berkeley, California last night. And back about, I don't know, it must be about 15 years ago or more, I did a workshop with Alice Waters on edible schoolyards. So I've been writing and thinking about edible schoolyard programs for an extraordinarily long time since they really began. And when I hear about acorns to oaks and the things that are happening at the Episcopal School of Knoxville, I just think, just bring it on all day. So can, you know, Jack, I would love to have you set a context for the school and then Maggie, tell us a little bit about the program. You bet. So um, acorns to oaks. So the, the school of the Episcopal School of Knoxville, we are really blessed with having a large campus. Um, it's 98 acres in Eastern Tennessee. So we've got uh um, good weather and good uh, opportunity to really tap uh, into the outdoors. Um, so 45 acres is, is totally undeveloped as far as uh, any building or structures. If there were to be a high school one day, that would definitely tap into it. But for right now, uh, we're really happy being K-8. Um, the connectivity that we can have with our kids and the opportunities that that allows us is just wonderful. So the environmental sciences definitely takes on um, a component of the program. Uh, Acorns to Oaks is actually a song uh, that the school would sing, and it's just about growing. And it's really cute, and it's very traditional about starting out as the acorns and growing to the oaks. And we just captured that idea and thought that would be a wonderful tagline for our environmental science program. Um, and again, it, we're going to hear a lot about connectivity and making those connections for those kids. Um, so yes, Acorns to Oak starts with ages three, and that program spirals all the way up through our eighth grade, where uh, that is the capstone year. Fantastic. So tell us, Maggie, how are you involved with that? Well, so I work with uh, Chris Bishop, who isn't here, but he is kind of the other counterpart. And he does primarily, which I love, just takes them out hiking and they get to explore. And then they brought me on uh, last year, actually, to because I was a science teacher, classroom teacher. And I am, like you said, trying to connect what they're doing in the classroom with the outdoors. And it's more about kind of giving the teachers ideas about how to get the kids outside so I do, uh, Chris just works with JK3 through uh, fourth grade, and then I work with the whole school. So it's been amazing. It's one day, you know, part of the day I'll be with three-year-olds, and then the next part of the day I'll be with eighth graders, which they're not really that dissimilar, honestly. But um, so we just work all over and decide kind of what they are working on in the classroom. So Today, JK3 is working on circles. So we may go out with a, a shape scavenger hunt and, and have them look around the school or look outside and see where they can find shapes. Um, and then fourth grade is studying the Tennessee history. So they've been learning about the Cherokee Indians, Native Americans. And so we pull in different things, like we'll go out and find trees that we want to see how the Native Americans use those trees, or maybe today we're playing uh, Native American Cherokee games, you know, just something fun. And then, of course, kindergarten is our big garden um, classroom because they actually have their own beehive in their classroom. Yeah, and uh, they've had two or three swarms from it, I think, since they started, but they study plants and it's actually just perfect. And so we Last week or a couple of weeks ago, we uh, 
looked at seeds and we opened the seeds, dissected the seeds, and then we put them in like a clear plastic thing to put in the window to start. And then yesterday I went in and we talked about seeds again. We looked at how their seeds are growing in the window. And then we went out and did a seed scavenger hunt. So looking at different seeds, I said, pretend you're squirrels and you're trying to gather all the seeds you can. And and then of course, we'll get to the garden once it's, you know, we're able to plant there. Um, but we're also going to try and get fourth grade involved and plant um, some of the three sisters crops this year to go along with their Native American theme. And just, it's just a lot of, you know, exciting, fun learning and trying to figure out how to coordinate with what they're studying. So been a been a good learning curve for me. <laughs> So I, I was really fortunate last year to be invited to speak at a Diocese of East Tennessee a conference. And, um, you know, so I asked uh, Bishop Cole also, I call him the other Brian um, when I'm around him. And uh, I asked him, you know, I'd love to come in a day early, see some what's going on in your diocese in terms of, of uh how you steward your land. Um, and he said, well, I got, we got a place right here uh, next to the diocesan office. And um, so I was really happy to get there. And um, now I'm, I come at this from a similar, but a little bit removed perspective to Jennifer. I have a granddaughter who's in kindergarten and she went to an outdoor school uh, for preschool. And, um, you know, they don't have a building. They just do it out, everything outside. And, um, but um, I, I was very glad um, that you have, have buildings there because it poured down rain. That, one of my distinct memories, but it, well, the other great memory was Corinne Mattern, uh, who works um, with you, gave me a tour. So I got to see, you know, all the stuff. Um, and, and I'd like to hear a little bit about what sort of crops you grow, um, because, you know, you're, you're growing food. And so, um, you know, then what do the kids do with the food that they grow? Bet. So we've started, uh, the garden program, uh, when I first came here, this has been eight years now, and, uh, it was maybe in my second year is when we actually started uh, building the raised beds and having, you know, um, uh, that, that kid connectivity to, to the ground. And it would start of just how to, how to build a bed. And we talked about the lasagna effect and the different layers that come into the beds and, you know, uh, making that connectivity to actual lasagna and having lasagna in the, in the dining hall and just, you know, building that, that visual image. And I would say it started out with just getting the kids out there and getting their hands dirty and building soil. Um, so really from the ground up and building a, a really rich base. And of course that led to just typical plantings. Uh, we wanted to go for things that uh, our kids would taste and try and things that they were familiar with that they have seen in grocery stores. So from, you know, carrots to uh, the tomatoes, of course, lettuces, uh, lots of herbs uh, so they can get in all the senses and uh, put that together. And then we take it to the next level and, and, and do things that maybe they haven't tried before or something new or, or did you not know it grew that way? And we uh, uh, had a, a really fun um, uh, play that we do in first grade, and it's called uh, The Real uh, Story of the Big Bad Wolf. And um, so Alexander T. Wolf gets put on trial, and the kids reenact it. Well, there's a turnip farmer in this play, 
And the kids are like, well, what's a turnip? And so I said, you know what? We're going to grow uh, that prop for the for the spring play. And sure enough, with first grade, we grew turnips and they got to see how they came about. And they're like, okay, what does it taste like? And so we tried to, to cook it as best as you can cook a turnip to, uh, to introduce <laughs> that to the kids. But... <laughs> They loved it, and they loved the fact that they got to see how it works. And of course, the turnip came out a nice ESK Episcopalian purple too. So you know we have that connectivity as well. Um, we've done other things like peas. Uh, we did a great pea project and studied uh, Thomas Jefferson and his uh, challenge to the community about uh, the pea challenge, the great pea challenge, and who could grow the fastest or the most productive uh, crop. And this was a way to really generate new hybrids of, of pea plants back in, in the 1700s. So we recreated that as well. And we did our own and the kids got to come up with different ways to, to try to, you know, space the peas together or water it X amount of times and, uh, and then grow a, a pea crop. And then that allowed our seventh graders to come in and do a Mendelian uh, genetics um, uh, type experiment and learning about Mendel and how he used pea plants in his his genetic studies. And uh, again, we all had a great big pea fest uh, as much as we can. You know, we've got 400 students here, so we can only grow but so much as far as sustainability in our dining hall. But the fact that they could taste it and knew that that came from where, uh, from what they had done and studied, um, it was just a ton of fun. So I'm wondering if the two of you could talk about the progression of how the students engage all of this, because I had these wonderful images of, like the little ones playing in the mud and just loving all of that. And then I thought by the time you get to middle division and they're doing different kinds of work, but is, do you find that they continue to um, be interested in the various aspects of the mm -hmm. environmental teaching, but in different ways, or do they get a little skittish as they get a little older about jumping in mud piles? Maybe they I mean, you know, I'm assuming it's different when they're a little older, but tell me about how they continue to engage it um, as they grow. They're definitely thrilled to get outside. Yes. Yeah, because they're just used to being indoors. And so not really with the garden aspect, but sixth grade studies about erosion. And we have a, a creek um, and a creek bed. And so I have many pictures of them hanging on to the, you know, the tree roots that have been eroded away or climbing in inside the creek and um, taking, you know, fourth grade down to find rocks in the creek bed when they're studying rocks and then figuring if we could identify those rocks. And so they really, yeah, they're really happy. I mean, there are some still, they're middle schoolers. So <laughs> they might complain about, you know, I know it's raining, it's wet, I'm going to get my shoes dirty. Of course, they want to change their shoes. But for the most part, once we get out there, I think they're thrilled to be outside and doing something different. It's so good for their brain, you know, just to have that different perspective and being outside, being somewhere different. So yeah. middle school is probably the most tactile, um, you know, window in their in their development where they're they got to touch everything. Uh, you you watch a a guy walk down the hall and he is smacking every door frame and every pillar in the in the, in the hall and the lockers. Getting them outside um, again, it's just a great outlet to allow them to, you know, continue that learning, but in a very, very tactile um, uh, classroom and getting their hands dirty to uh, uh, shoveling to, you know, digging. Yeah, great. That, that's great to hear. So I'm not my kid's not the crazy one. It's just what they do at that age. Oh, <laughs> yes, definitely what they do. I'm like, stop touching everything. It's COVID. But um, and last year, <laughs> I um I also tried. So we were doing the seventh grade. And we were going to plant the pea plants. We talked about Gregor Mendel. 
And I thought, I'm not going to tell them how to do this. So we, I said, get on your, on your Chromebook and, and look up pea plants and how, if you're a gardener and you don't know anything about it, what, what do you need? What are the, first of all, what are the questions you have to ask? Cause I think kids forget that there are, you know, questions that you got to go through the process of and and then once you have these questions, how much sunlight, you know, what, how deep do you need to plant it? Then what are the answers, you know? And then you tell me, you tell me how this needs to be done. And then we went out and planted, you know, but instead of just me feed, spoon feeding information, you know, it's just by you get, to, when you get to that age, they can process that better and take on the ownership of it as well. So that <laughs> Yeah. And Maggie, you had your um, physical science students um, test the soil and then give them the opportunity to, okay, we're going to plot out our raised beds based on what should we plant based on the results of your soil testing. And uh, so they were able to map out what would be best um, to go in each, each raised bed. And that would be for the younger kids to plant. So there's still ownership of it, even though they may not be putting the seeds in, uh, they are at least designing what should go where. I just need to say, we need to get some of your junior high kids on a podcast uh, to do some oh, sort of technical um, instruction uh, for our, our listeners uh, in terms of soil science. Good to that know. That so fun, Brian, because, I mean, just, you know, they can talk, probably describe it in ways that are just more vivid than we could even imagine because they're taking this learning and then immediately applying it. They don't have to wait till they go on a field trip. They can literally go from the classroom, well, from the indoor classroom to the outdoor classroom. And so I bet the, the learning must just be so immediate to see the light bulbs go off as they make those, those jumps. Yeah. Um, and I, I think Ma Maggie and Jack will have to be the guest co-hosts of that because well uh, no i take that back jennifer is quite capable of uh, dealing with uh, a middle school um well depends uh, on the day i will i will definitely we would choose very in. wisely too and I, I would i would listen in <laughs> well that's wonderful so um you know i think about what you're doing at esk and the ability to um expand these kinds of programs in other schools. And, and not every Episcopal school has 98 acres, right? We, we have an urban campus here and a few raised beds, but can you talk a little bit about what you're seeing more broadly in other Episcopal schools or other education? You know, and I'm glad you brought that up. There's a great uh, school that we have partnered with. And Maggie, this this came before you, but it's called the Learning Center. And it's a lab school associated with the University of Tennessee. Um, it's a, a small school, just goes up through the, the, the younger grades, but they're urban. And they very much study a lot of the same philosophies that we do with uh, what's called place-based education. And um, so from Sobel, for example, they've had, you know, Sobel come in and, and give a, a great lecture and we've been able to tap into it. But their approach to play space is urban play space education and ours is very much rural. Um, and so with the Southern Association of Independent Schools, we applied for a grant together and um, and we got it. And it was kind of a country mouse, city mouse type uh, scenario dealing with gardening and how they arranged their garden in just a small little plot of land that they have in downtown Knoxville. So from their raised beds and their stacked beds, and then we had ours out, you know, not really plowed fields, but our longer beds that had a lot more space. And we planted exactly the same stuff. Um, you know, they did their crops of beans and lettuces. We did ours and, and herbs uh, thrown in there as well. And so we grew it at the same time. And then once a week, we um, 
uh, connected by um, uh, a Zoom connection. And so the classrooms, you know, the kindergarten classroom there and our kindergarten classroom here connected and we got to show each other our gardens. And then also written into the grant was uh, field trip money so that we could bust them out here and us down there to help each other, you know, in the winter time, if it was, you know, just leaf collection to weeding the beds and they got to see the the two. And then we had feast day and that uh, was after everything was ready to be harvested. Um, and we, we pulled, they brought their crops over. We brought our crops uh, up and they, we, we put them together. And it, I think really we made just this great big salad is about all we could do. But um, again, those kids were able to, to have that connectivity. And then we did uh, with that to document the whole experience, we did what was called a floor map and uh, or a floor journal, and it was a very very large tablets of paper, and the kids would find pictures or they draw their pictures as they went through. And the neat thing about kindergarten, you know, that's such a developmental age where they are learning their letters from the beginning to learning how to write in sentences by the end of the day. You know, the end that floor map, um, they were able to share that as well and kind of track their journey through uh, through the garden. But it was neat for us and our kids to see how an urban garden can can work and just as successful uh, as what we had, you know, out here with all of our space. Um, definitely achievable. And they had a master gardener from UT that uh, they get a lot of great resources from UT that were able to come over, but to help them uh, build that and construct that and design it. That's fantastic. Thank you. Really inspiring and showing opportunities for collaboration and um, sort of cross cultural learning in a way, you know, just these cross these different environments at every age level. So that's beautiful. Thank you. I mean, one thing I, I noticed uh, when I visited the school is the strong identity you have uh, that's rooted in the Episcopal Church. So I'd like to know a little bit about, you know, uh, you've got a uh, Matt, isn't it Matt Farr, um, yes. your chaplain? Um, how does he utilize, you know, um, the space, um, the outdoors? Oh, the um, outdoors, yeah. You know, in terms of worship um, and chapel experience. Absolutely. We are blessed to have a, a chaplain, and we have chapel every day here at the Episcopal School, and he actually holds three. Uh, we have our JK, the youngest, which is by far hilarious. Uh, just wonderful and refreshing. And then our lower school, which goes up through fourth grade, and then a separate middle school chapel. So all are tailored to that uh, developmental age group and length of time, of course, with the younger ones. You get five minutes and that's it. But uh, one of our favorite chapel experiences is we have an outdoor chapel. Uh, we have an indoor chapel that seats about 100, 125. So we can't all get in there at one time. But the outdoor chapel is great, and it's in um, you know benches out in the woods, so you, your your backdrop and the panorama is really just uh, the deep hardwoods, and it's a a great time for us to be out there, um, and you know to sing and 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 to worship, and and we can do it just about any time of year, even like today, as I was telling you, it's it's sixty one degrees here in Knoxville today. Next week it'll be different, but. Um, Again, taking advantage of that and then incorporating the lessons and what you can hear and what you can see, especially in a morning time and a morning setting where lots of activity, it, it's it's great. Uh, hikes are also uh, wonderful and uh, taking those journey hikes. We do that with smaller groups and smaller pods, um, but having a time where you can be reflective and, and listening. And then, Brian, I think um, when you were coming in, we had just finished uh, really one of our first reflection uh, gardens, and it's it's called the Cross Garden 
where it's uh, just a quadrant out in the front of the school that does give us some wonderful Episcopal identity. Um, and the pathway is crossed and it's got two reflection benches, but that was planted. And what's exciting now, this is our first year of, of, of blooming, but um, we have a, a hyacinth border. And so that is now first first emerging. Uh, so that will give us some, some purple boarding to the to the cross. And then uh, we have the jonquils, the yellow, and it's going to be a, a golden arc or ring. And we're hoping that will come up, you know, right, uh, right before the Christmas time. But again, we're going to be able to tie that into um, uh, and into the, the chapel lessons. And another neat one was um, when we did all uh, Souls Day, um, we uh, made a prayer garden and the kids um, wrote on pieces of paper, uh, their little prayers that they wanted to pray for, you know, for the faithfully departed. And we took that and we made a, what was called a prayer mash. And uh, it was great. We liquefied it and just churned it up and turned it into like a mulch or a composite and used that with a little bit of a soil and then put in forget-me-nots uh, where the flowers that went into that prayer mash. And then we um, uh, had them in little ice cube trays and we got them up to the seedling levels and then transported them into one of the beds. And that sits right outside the, uh, the, uh, the chapel and it's called the prayer garden. So those prayers were literally uh, put into the earth and used to uh, grow these uh, flowers called forget-me-nots, which we thought were uh, very appropriate for All Souls Day. My goodness, that's just a beautiful cycle of of life um, thing happening there. Just um, that's beautiful. Now, if you if you were going to tell me that you use some of those for ashes for Ash Wednesday, then I would be. <laughs> <laughs> that's what would, would totally complete the cycle. We haven't but, done that yet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you mentioned Christmas, and so when we started this podcast, I started dreaming up all the episodes we could possibly do, some seasonal ones, and I thought, oh. I need to find a church or some sort of uh, ministry that has a, you know, Christmas tree farm on it. <laughs> and so I've been on this sort of search for a Christmas tree farm. And lo and behold, ESK is growing Christmas trees. Tell us no about way. that. Oh yeah. my gosh. Yeah. Yeah, that's a that's a fun project, and it, it's twofold. One, um, we have a lot of Bradford pears, which are invasive species that are all over the campus. So, eradicating invasive species has been one of our initiatives through um, uh, the acorns to oaks. And so, there's a field of Bradfords that are off in that 45 acres. So, taking those down and expanding that area, um, there were already some you know small, scrappy little red cedars that were coming up, and the kids actually named that area Narnia. Uh, because it was kind of bushy and brushy and the and the trail went right up through that area. And we thought, you know, let's do it. Um, Christmas is big with kids, as you as you well know, and we're in East Tennessee. So we do have some of the elevation and the temperature that would support some Frasers. And um, so we, we did. We got a grant and they uh, supplied us with lots of Douglas and uh, a couple of Frasers. And we had that as our fourth grade project and fourth grade went out and uh, we cleared some of the space. They did all the digging, which was great. And um, we planted in there were probably what you say, Maggie, 18 inches of, uh, of our furs. And then um, uh, so it, it, it connected to the to the Narnia section of the, of the trail. And so we'll spend that a few years. But um, as they you know, the fourth grade will go out there and they've been been charged with this task to uh, to be our Christmas tree growers. 
And as that um, continues to expand, uh, they're learning a little bit of forestry about every time when we get to the harvest section, when you're, you're cutting one, you're planting two and it's in its place. Um, but that will become eventually the uh, school's Christmas tree that they get to um, pick and harvest. And fortunately, there's um, a great service road that uh, we can drive the truck because we expect great big trees here at ESK uh, in a few years so that they don't have to haul that all the way back up to the uh, school and drag it. Uh, and the truck and, and take it back. A good learning part of this too is when I hike back there, um, I noticed that some of the trees we planted on one side of the road had actually died and then the others were still living. And so another great way to bring the kids out and have them explore and be like, what's going on here? What do you think? What's the reasoning for this? And just to connect it to science too. And um, get them thinking about, you know, how, where to plant, that it makes a difference, you know, that it's not, you just can't just go throw them anywhere. So we got to get back out there and do that. And we've had a lot of rain here. <laughs> so we've had to, had to deal with that, but that's fine. We, we do it and we, we do an indoor lesson and um, we're going to get out today though. I'm really excited. So I know we, we have to begin to, to wrap it up, but I, I now I have like a thousand other questions, but here's one, one other thing I'd wonder about, just because you are an educational institution and you've been doing this long enough that perhaps you've seen how some of your alumni, alumni have continued to do this work. And so do you have any reports of some of your alums going on to environmental science and forestry programs or, you know, because they would, the earliest ones might be in college now, right? You bet. I can think of one uh, really neat example. Um, so first grade, their garden, uh, they do a butterfly project and so they have 11 butterfly beds and they are all way stations for monarchs and part of the monarch migration and making sure that, you know, we are providing them with enough milkweed. And so first grade goes out and they will pull the the larvae, you know, from from their, their garden beds, bring them in and grow these wonderful uh, in their butterfly boxes, the chrysalises and the monarchs, and we tag them and we let them go. Well, one of our students was very much inspired by that. And um, she actually, I think it's a on WBIR, a new station, they did a story on her just a couple of years ago, but that was when she was in first grade. And when she got to high school, she did her uh, senior project and went into the community of Knoxville and inspired others as a service project to build these way stations, uh, very similar to what we had and the plant and the importance of it. Um, so that was one, you know, neat feature. Uh, it'd be great to follow up. She is in college now and just to see where, where she is at this point. Excellent. Thank you. Well, I got to chase down that, um, episode on WBIR to get in the show notes. That's mm -hmm. very cool. Wow. So we, we always like to kind of close up our show by asking about what is the dish or meal that makes you sigh with comfort? And mm. you know, from the South, so I'm expecting some amazing answers. So like when you think about what kind of food gives you joy, um, what's, the, what's the meal or food that you're talking about? Uh, well, I have, I've recently had to become gluten-free. So uh, that kind of narrows down my, but I have to say just some nice, warm, buttered mashed potatoes. I love that. <laughs> nice. Well, we've uh, actually just talked about it. My daughter, um, she's now grown up too, but uh, we were planning our jambalaya. We've got Mardi Gras coming up and uh, we will celebrate that. And um, with just great traditional New Orleans style food and what we've been going to put in there and the different additives. So yeah, I'm, I'm very much into that, that Southern and that soul cooking um, 
I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, Mardi Gras is one of our favorite meals that we prep for the year. Awesome. I can I can smell it now as we approach that day. So that's great. Thank you for sharing that. This has been a wonderful podcast. You've inspired me uh, with some ideas for future podcasts. And we'll definitely be coming back to Knoxville. Um, and uh, by the way, I think the episode that comes before you is with uh, Bishop Cole. So I won't go into the content, but you, you'll have to tune in. Um, because, you know, we're going to have another person from your, your campus on um, what we refer to as triple S, spade, spoon, soul. But I really thank you both, Jack and Maggie. We love what um, ESK is doing, as well as the countless other schools that, that provide outdoor garden and creation care education. And I know that this podcast will be an inspiration um, to others, um, not just schools, but to Sunday schools and the camps and conference centers. You really think in a wide, broad way about all the opportunities they have, and uh, they just need to use some ESK imagination uh, to make that happen. If you want to know more about Triple S, you can find us at the Spade Spoon Soul Facebook page or email us at Spade Spoon Soul Podcast at gmail.com. And as we wrap up, we want to thank our producer, Derek Weston, who also happens to be a Presbyterian pastor, community organizer, author, podcaster, urban farmer, filmmaker, and he does all the amazing things that help our podcast sound so great. And we thank Jay Sidebotham for our cover art and Ryan Lee for our groovy music that brings us in and out of the show. So until next time, we hope you will find ways to connect your soul to your spade or spoon or both. Thanks everybody. Take care. We'll see you next time.